This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, and it's an honor and a pleasure to welcome Patrick Mapes to my podcast for the first time. He's the new superintendent of schools for the Hamilton Southeastern District. So allow me to be one of the many people to welcome you to the Fishers area and to the Hamilton Southeastern Schools. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And um, well, I can say proudly that my twin daughters are graduates of HSE schools, K through 12, college graduates, adults now. And uh, so I, I think uh, all of that is, is largely due to the fact that they got a very good basic education. In fact, it's interesting. One graduated from Ball State, the other from Anderson University. And they would co- commonly tell me after their time at Fisher's High School, so, you know, going to college, some of our college classes were not even as hard as the ones we had at Fisher's High School, and they didn't take a lot of AP classes even. So that's, that's quite a testament to how the rigor that's expected here. But welcome. Uh, great to have you here uh, on the podcast. After, really, just uh, after a few days, you were uh, uh, approved for your employment contract. You had a, a temporary uh, contract there before to get started. So I have to ask you, as the first question, when you were at Perry Township for seven years, and I should say you have 35 years of experience all the way from the classroom up to superintendents and even at the state level uh, working with uh, education, uh, you said uh, when you left Perry Township in December 2022, you were retiring. Obviously, you've unretired, so explain why you've decided to come back and become a superintendent again. Well, I knew I wasn't finished and when I left Perry. Um, I used to work for Dr. Bennett as the state superintendent of public instruction. I, I was the assistant for Tony, and he works for Stride K-12 online, and we'd had discussions about me joining them in an administrative role. So I had served as the vice president of academic programs for Stride K-12 online since September of this year. Um, you know, when you get into this business to help kids, um, you're really looking forward to seeing them every day. And, and on the online scene of what I was doing, I was primarily working with adults, putting programs and systems in place in to deliver education. And I truly was not uh, satisfied in the job of not being able to go into classrooms and see kids learning and, and really more face-to-face items with, with adults and kids. Um, I'm a people person, and uh, the online world really wasn't uh, a job satisfaction area of, of being able to do that each and every day. I remember well my first time covering a full-time school system was late 70s, early 80s in Columbus, Indiana. And I remember one uh, building principal who decided to become a central office administrator. He did that for two years and went back. He was at Columbus North. He went back to Columbus East. Or was the other way. Anyway, he went from one to the other after a short stint in central office. And I remember him telling me, he says, I just missed the students. So even the superintendent, uh, from what I've heard and what you've just told me here a moment ago as we got started, right before we recorded, is that uh, you've been out in the buildings, been talking to the staff, principals, and the students. So one of my first questions to you would have to be, what's your impression so far? What have you learned with all these visits around the district? So today is day six, and by the end of the day, I will have visited all the K through 12 buildings, including the alternative school. And what I've seen first and foremost is that the learning environment and learning atmosphere in the classrooms is probably some of the best I've ever seen. And I've been fortunate enough as I work for the state that I've been in schools all over the state of Indiana. And um, I've been able to see quality instruction. 
Um, and that's what I have witnessed so far in our schools. Building principals are very engaged with their students and teachers. Um, you can walk a building with somebody and get a really quick view of whether or not there's there's great things going on. And so far, I've seen a lot of great things. Um, it's 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 very impressive that the instruction isn't sit and get. It's very interactive. And I was in a classroom just yesterday at Hoosier Road that I saw the teacher tell the kids, "Now take a moment, moment, turn to your." to your buddy and discuss what we just talked about. And that's when kids start owning their own learning. And when I saw that, I'm like, this is great. I mean, academically, this place is heading down the right path. You know, even though technology has changed so much, even teaching methods get, are updated based on uh, what people know now that maybe we didn't know before. One key part of this that I think has been uh, always true is that the key person in any, any school corporation would have to be the building principal. You know, the building principal, in my experience, always does set the tone for how the school is run. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that building principal is is the cog that makes all this happen. Um, they're the front line for the administration and school board that the curriculum is being implemented and quality instruction is happening in the classrooms. And first and foremost, the safety of everybody within that building. And uh, I think Hamilton Southeastern uh, facility-wise has covered that very well. I have to ask this question. This is the one question I've been receiving throughout the uh, community is that it's great to have you here, but do you have any feel for how long you want to stay here? Obviously, you're, in, in, at the, you're younger than I am, but you're certainly toward the end of your career at the beginning. You've had 35 years already. Uh, do you have a feel for how long you want to stay in this job? Well, I, I had an administrator tell me a long time ago, and he was my mentor, that usually a superintendent runs about six or seven years. And, um, you know, you're going to work really hard and fast those first few years and get some great things implemented. And, and then all of a sudden things will change and, and the board will be ready for somebody else to come and lead them. And I think that holds true pretty much everywhere across the state of Indiana. You know, the expectancy of a superintendent right now is about two and a half years. I'd like to be here for about seven or eight years. I think we can really polish some things up and be leaders academically in the state during that time. Well, you had seven years at Perry Township. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I went back and, and uh, took a look at what was happening while you were there. And correct me if I make a mistake here, but if I recall correctly from the research that I did, you had a program in Perry Township where elementary parents could choose their elementary school. Was that correct? I mean, that's yes. that's a big how should I put this? That, that, that had to be really important to parents. Where you don't have a geographical district, you say, I'm going to go to this because I happen to like that principal or the teachers I know at that school. But you ran into a problem that a lot of school systems have run into, including to some extent HSE, recruiting and retaining bus drivers. And when you had that shortage, you had a, a dose of reality, and, and making that change was not easy. No, it wasn't. We had a school choice program, and um, we kind of separated it from the Perry side and the Southport side, but we were transporting students almost like a taxi service all over the school district. Financially, was not something that could be supported, and I could have left it alone and retired and left it for the next person, but that's not who I am. Um, we were also struggling of getting parent participation in our buildings. And so we kind of went to the neighborhood policy of neighborhood schools to be able to allow our, our parents who are, who are with their neighbors to be more involved in a centralized school system. Um, it saved us 34 routes, which was a, a huge, huge impact. Um, 
even before the pandemic, we had mechanics driving every day. Uh, we just that shortage of bus drivers, which is a very important but very difficult job, um, was starting to catch up to us. And nobody wants uh, at the end of a school day at four o'clock. Nobody wants their kid delivered at their house at six p.m. And unfortunately, that had become commonplace on some routes in Perry Township schools. And it wasn't consistent across the board of when that was taking place. And something needed to happen. So we addressed the problem. Well, you already mentioned this. Let me talk about academics for a moment. Uh, you've obviously looked at the academic performance of HSC schools uh, before agreeing to take this job. I'm sure you've looked at it, and you've looked at it at the state level, too, with the work you do there. How would you describe the state of academics in this school district? The state of academics in Hamilton Southeastern Schools is some of the top in the state of Indiana. Um, the one thing I've seen as I've walked around is there's a changing demographics here in this school district that's bringing a different learner into the school system, which means we've got to make some adjustments and do some professional development with our teachers as you're developing a larger English language learner population. And that changes as you get maybe some newcomers that don't uh, have any literacy skills in English and they speak a different language, but they're sitting there in the classroom with kids that do. And so I think in order for us to keep our, our excellence in academics at the top, we're going to have to change some instructional practices, probably do some more small group work, not only just at the elementary level, but these kids are coming in at intermediate, junior high and high school level without literacy skills in order to support them so they can establish academic excellence here in the township. Yeah, I look at uh, English as a new language learners and think of what it would be like for me to go to a new country with a different language and a different alphabet, different written language as well as spoken. Uh, it's a big challenge, and uh, you recognize that, obviously. Well, in Perry Township Schools, uh, we had eight, over 8,600 dual language students out of the 16,800 that we had. Um, we had 84 languages from 78 countries. So this isn't new to me, and um, I realize it's kind of becoming new in Hamilton Southeastern schools, but they've already implemented some very, very good programming and professional development for their teachers to address this. I was glad to see that as I've been walking around buildings and talking to principals. So they're really started down the right path of how to educate those students. But those students come with different needs than what probably we're used to in Hamilton Southeastern schools. I would have to say one of the most painful exercises any school administration has to go through is redistricting. And in, in Hamilton Southeastern schools, the most recent demographic report, which you've probably at least looked at, says, okay, you're, you're beginning to flatten out. The big growth years are probably over for now. But what is a challenge uh, within the district would be on the west side of town, which is where the early growth was, has changed. Now it's in the eastern part of the district, I should say, because yeah, it's more than Fishers, right? HSC district. So it's not so much you're growing, it's where the students are located. And that may be a, a, a challenge. So if you face a, a situation where you need to do de redistricting, there's a number of ways to approach that. How would you approach that? Well, the first thing is you know being able to identify where those students are at, like you mentioned. Um, we're very fortunate that your transportation director, our transportation director, Zach McKinney, has, has got a software program where we can plot where students are at. And then you kind of take a look at where they're at and where you can move students to to balance out and maximize enrollments within buildings. Obviously, you don't want to overload a building because having large classroom sizes, especially in elementary, is not the best thing in the world. And I'm not so sure at some point in time it doesn't require us to build. Um, 
the thing that you don't know as I, as I drive around the, the township here is, is that you've got a lot of apartment complexes popping up in the district, you know, down around 96th Street and 106th Street. This is still a destination for people to come and still one of the fastest growing locations in, in the state of Indiana and probably the Midwest for people to relocate to. So trying to be able to forecast that is very difficult. And so at times it may mean that we have to redistrict a, a few students for, for overcrowding until we can get some plans in place to address the need 100%. Um, the other thing will be as, as some requirements change at the state level at, at the high school, as we reimagine high school, um, your high school capacity and, and how long students are actually in that building could change as we start looking at work-based uh, learning opportunities for kids and getting kids on job sites. So we may have to get really creative as how we utilize our buildings and, and what we do as a district to educate all of our students. It's very interesting because there's been a lot of talk about that, about putting students into to work environments very early in their careers. So certainly dovetails with what, what you're talking about here. Uh, Dr. Matt Kegley has served as assistant superintendent here for several years. Uh, he was, after a long stint as a, as the principal of HSC High School, um, you have uh, elevated him to the uh, job of deputy superintendent. That's what the board president described uh, in the uh, most recent board meeting. How will his duties change in this new role? Well, first of all, I'm, I met with Dr. Kegley a couple times before my consulting contract had been finished. Uh, they'd already offered me the job, and I knew the direction I was heading. And, and I'd talked to the, the firm administrative assistants that had been working with Dr. Kegley, who was doing the search here. And, um, and just like you, I can do pretty good research and know a lot of people in administration. And everyone spoke very highly of Matt and what he's done for Hamilton Southeastern Schools. I, I believe in a, in a process and, and an organization that needs to be well-defined that if I'm not available, everybody knows who they go to. And so we established a deputy superintendent position for Matt. So it's very clear that if I'm out of the district and, and I do work at the, at the level of the state for the State Board of Education, at times it takes me outside of the state to visit things, board meetings that I will have. We're not going to stop Hamilton Southeastern Schools because I'm not here. But we need to know who do you turn to to get questions answered and keep things moving forward. And he was the obvious choice. And so we met and I kind of told him my vision of, of Hamilton Southeastern Schools and what I would like for him to do. So he'll have some added duties as far as responsibilities over learning still um, with the I like to call it foundational learning at the elementary and then secondary education. But he'll also take a look at student services, special education, high ability, everything that kind of falls under that. And he'll be my guy that when I have questions, I'm going to him. Running a big organization, I don't have time to track down 12 people. I'm going to have a core group of, of administrators that will report to me and keep me informed. And then we'll make decisions collectively of what's best for our students in the school district. So what I'm hearing you say is when you're out of town, you're doing something else. Matt Kegley is in charge. That is correct. Okay. One controversial issue that school districts are dealing with deals with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Natati, uh, Dr. Nataki, I'm going to say this name correct, Nataki Pettigrew recently left the district to take a job, a similar job in Washington Township in, in Marion County. This is a board decision. I'm curious your approach. What would your recommendation to the board be to continue the DEI program or eliminate it now that Dr. Pettigrew has taken a, another job? Well, 
I feel we serve all students from the get-go, um, that there doesn't need to be a different division that's emphasizing that because it should be emphasized each and every day. I mean, our job isn't to line kids up and say, well, we're going to educate these kids differently because of color or race or those types of things. We're educating everybody. We're a public school. We receive everyone and we provide services for everyone. As we've already talked, the ENL as well as special education is very important to me because those are the students that really need the resources to be academically successful. But our student services department for years have served these kids and will continue to serve these kids. And we'll make certain that no matter what student comes to Hamilton Southeastern Schools, they will have the opportunities to fill in their academic programming as they see fit with the supports in place to make certain they can be successful. Well, I know Dr. Pettigrew was very involved in academics for certain groups of students. Uh, so is um, what I'm hearing you say is you're not necessarily inclined to have a DEI director at this point, or do, are you leaning one way or the other? I'm not inclined to have a director that way when I have a director of student services. I think we can take care of all those issues as we address all student issues in the school district and make certain that opportunities are there for everyone. And to be honest, we'll use data and we'll look at whether or not our students are having access to AP courses and dual credit courses at the high school to make certain that we can increase those numbers. And as we look at subgroups, we'll look at all of our subgroups to make certain that they're progressing academically at the same rate. And if they're not, we'll put resources in place and figure out solutions to make certain that we can rise those numbers up. Another issue that uh, the school board has dealt with nearly one year ago now, uh, a vote to cancel the Panorama survey. That had been conducted for several years, and I know you have experience at the state level, and there's a requirement at the state level that some sort of survey be done to, to gauge what, what's happening within the school district, the student level particularly. Uh, since the Panorama survey was canceled, how would you recommend the board satisfy that state requirement? Up to this time, I don't think there, there's been a direction on that. Well, we have to use some instrument. Um, Panorama is one that's been offered at, to many schools across the state of Indiana. Um, there's other services in order to get surveys out there. I think it's, it's important that before we send some surveys out there, our board knows the questions that we're asking. And what are we trying to capture? I mean, there's no reason to survey people if the data and information is not going to be used in to improve our school. And so I think it's just a matter of, of what you're going to utilize um, to distribute the survey and recollect the data. And then what are you going to do with the data? Um, at times, there's federal requirements that you have to do surveys in order to keep some federal dollars in place. Um, so we're going to have to find a, a, a partner in order to do that. And we might have to even look at Panorama again and see whether or not that's not the best delivery system because it is used by several school districts across the state of Indiana. Yeah, I, I worked in the federal government for 28 years and, and was involved in, in surveying people. And, and uh, uh, I know what an intricate science that can be, how you ask the question is, is just so important as to what result you're going to get. So I'm hearing you say that because it, originally there was, there was talk of maybe even internally putting some kind of survey together. At this point, you're open to any kind of uh, a survey that's out there. Yeah. I mean, we got to find the best solution for our schools. And, um, and once again, I want to know why. Why are we surveying? What, what are we trying to get accomplished 
Um, is it a satisfaction survey? Is it an academic uh, survey of the students asking them whether or not they feel like they're being well prepared? As you said, the rigor that your, your daughters received here that prepared them for college. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to maybe grab a hold of email addresses of seniors as they graduate so we can, you know, kind of check that up later on and send them an email and survey and say, did we prepare you for, for what you were doing? And even the kids that are going to the workforce, you know, that's that's going to be a big emphasized pathway. And, and did we give them enough programming in order for them to be successful in the job that they decided to go and take? Uh, I asked you about academics. Being the fourth largest school system in the state, it's very important to keep an eye on the financial state of the district. Uh, you have had a chance, I'm sure, to talk with uh, Chief Financial Officer Katie Dowling. Uh, how would you evaluate the financial state of affairs here in this district? I think the district's in decent shape, uh, comparing it to Perry Township as far as cash balances and rainy day funds. To be honest, we had a few more dollars in Perry because we had a lot more poverty and we got a lot more federal funds. Um, I think people uh, may not understand the fact that most of the finances that come into the to Hamilton Southeastern Schools is based off the average daily membership uh, numbers that we have and the state foundation dollars that we receive from, from the legislature. Um, I would hope maybe we could get some increases in foundational numbers uh, from the state during the next biennium. Um, as that would increase the, the amount of dollars coming into our schools so we can make certain that we're staffed and, and provide enough services for our students. I think uh, over the years, uh, Mike Reuter, uh, when he was the chief financial officer here, has really set a great foundation that, that Katie's been able to build upon while they've been here. And um, uh, the quick view in six days is that um, at, in areas we're kind of tight, um, but at the same time, I think they've done a really good job of making certain that we're in the black and that, and that we have services that we need. I'm sure one thing you're very happy, excuse me, <clears throat> that you're very happy about is we've just passed an eight-year referendum. We're in year one of those eight years, and that uh, campaign happened last year. And Matt Kegley was uh, instrumental in, in that effort, and, and, and a, a nonprofit uh, group of citizens got together to uh, promote that, and it won by a fairly large margin. I'm sure you're aware of all that. Yes, it, it was great to see the support from the community for the referendum, uh, continued support. Uh, for the schools by referendums, as they've done multiple here. Um, I've ran referendum myself in Perry Township schools that we were successful passing and, and increased the, the popular vote by 6% from the seven years before. Um, that speaks volumes about the school district and the community, that they want a strong school. You know, I truly believe a strong school equals strong community, right? I mean, if we got good schools, then uh, most of those people are going to stay right here and be a part of our community. And so the schools need to be top notch in order for us to have a real good community. It not only did, you know, Dr. Kegley, but I'm a tr true believer that referendums pass because of school administrators, school teachers, school classified employees. Um, they they got to have pride in what they do. And if they do and they're doing a quality job, then the community sees that and is willing to dig into their pockets a little bit more for the greater good to make certain that the money's there to have the services they want for their kids. Well, one person who seems very aware of that's uh, Fisher's Mayor Scott Fadness. He uh, got behind uh, the last two referenda, referendums, I guess is the correct way to say it, and uh, he and the entire city council passed a resolution supporting the referendum at a joint meeting with the school board. So it was a very big, 
how should I put it, a strong message from city officials. And I think if you talk to Scott Fadness, he will tell you that uh, the economic and, and population growth in Fishers is to a large degree tied to the reputation of the school, school district here. I would agree with that. I look forward to meeting Mayor Fadness and, and hopefully they're, my secretaries are arranging, arranging that here in the next couple of weeks so we can sit down and meet one another and, and talk about the future of the schools and the future of the city side by side and continue that strong partnership that's already in place and, and see where we can take both of our, our organizations and, and make this a real vibrant place. Well, you may not be prepared to weigh in on this, but I have to ask this because this has been buzzing around the, our community and, and the adjacent community for a few years. Um, many people locally, including Noblesville Mayor Chris Jensen, have said, basically he told me in a podcast I did with him a while back, that any student that's a, attending a school in Noblesville should be a miller. That should be part of the Noblesville school system. Well, Noblesville is starting to grow. They're expanding into Wayne Township. HSC schools is the school district for Wayne Township. There's already a new elementary school this recently, Deer Creek, that's been built there. Is there any possibility of seeding part or all of Wayne Township to Noblesville? I know that both school boards would have to agree to this. It's not an easy process. I looked into this once, and it's, it's, it is not easy. Uh, do you have any, I mean, I know you're new, and if you don't have any thoughts about it, I would, but I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask you if you had some thoughts in this area. Well, my initial thought would be I'd never give away property and land to another district in order for them to take AV away that provides uh, capital project dollars and operational dollars for our schools. Um, we'll educate everybody, even if they're Noblesville kids, and we'll give them a very high-quality education that, you know, I realize there's a little rivalry there that will be more than equal to what they're doing in Noblesville. And uh, at this point in time, I, I will be open to have dialogue with Mayor Fadness about it, um, but I can't see ever in my mind to do that. Um, I realize Hamilton Southeastern covers a large geographic area, and um, we'll find solutions in order to make certain the kids who are in the northeast portion of our school district uh, get the education services that Hamilton Southeastern provides. Yes, I've, uh, Mac, Zach McKinney has told me many times it, it's a challenge for him what's going on on 96th Street. It's not what's going on in the north side of Wayne Township. So you, you have to weigh everything as to how you, you know, are you going to have school, going to have a delayed start. Uh, you have to th look at the whole district when something. So it is geographically big, and that yeah. is a great example of that. When I was in Delaware Community Schools, Delta High School, uh, we were four townships. And we were all the way down to Muncie and all the way up to Blackford and Jay County as our other borders. So it could be really nice down around Muncie and there was enough fog in Blackford and Jay County that you couldn't get a bus down the road. So I'm kind of used to driving those roads and seeing those types of weather conditions. And it is challenging. And at times it, it makes us uh, stand out a little bit that we might delay or we might not be able to have school because of such a large geographic area. Moving on, based on what you know now, and I'm sure you investigated HSC schools before you, you know, took the job. And of course, now you're out in the buildings talking to people, and that's obviously a very important part of, of, of acclimating yourself. But I'm curious at this point in time, how would you describe or what would you list as the biggest challenge for the school system right now? I truly think that the change in demographics of free and reduced lunch and poverty that's coming into this school district is something at the level that I did not expect. 
And when, when you think of Hamilton Southeastern Schools and Fishers, Indiana, you think of a higher socioeconomic uh, parent that lives in the school district. And, and those demographics are changing. And um, that'll be a challenge for teachers. Um, that'll be a challenge because, as you said, a lot of those are around 96th Street and large pockets of apartment complexes that you have to transport students to and from. And so it takes more resources and more buses to, to make those routes. And that's something that I probably didn't expect as I looked at the school district. Um, and it's something that most people won't expect when they hear the word Hamilton Southeastern School or Carmel Schools or Westfield Schools or Noblesville Schools that is a changing demographic around the donut in the suburban schools in all of, the, of this area. I have to ask you this, because as we speak right now, today, this is before the General Assembly, it's been a huge debate about retaining third graders. And, and this all stems from when a, a student is not able to read proficiently a third grade, that's going to be a harbinger for problems uh, later on in school. The question is, how does education deal with this? And based on what I have been reading, there's a big divide amongst educators as to whether those students should be retained for another year or something else should be done with these students to help them back up to the level that they should be. We don't know what the legislature is going to do. It's, it's that debate's going on as you and I speak. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, as I talked to Dr. Kegley, the one thing I asked him to do was to sign up all of our second grade students to take Ivory 3 this year. We'd only had about three buildings sign up, and, and I just think it's really important to get that data and information ahead of time because I don't want to wait till they're in third grade to retain them. If we need to retain students because we don't think their skill set is there, we need to do it in grade one and grade two because at that point in time, that's that foundational learning that if they don't have, they can't pass I read three. And so we would hopefully have interventions ahead of time, and, and I'd really like to get to the point that our second grade proficiency numbers to be in the 90 percentile. And then we have a much smaller group identified of what skills they need supported so that when they're in the third grade, that we can get to 100% of our students passing Ivory 3 But I think waiting until the third grade for the retention process is a disservice to the student. Well, we don't have as many students as other school districts in that uh, dilemma, which is a good thing, but we're, there is still a, a subset of, of students that need that help. So I guess what I'm hearing you say is that you'd like to identify this earlier uh, in the process, but I, I would keep hearing people saying that retention may be what is needed for some students, but perhaps another solution might be better for other students. Is this a case-by-case -case basis, or do you think the districts have to make policies to to figure out how to deal with this issue? Well, some of it's case by case because of, of exceptional learners and some, some disabilities that may, a student may have, and even the English language learners. Um, but if we don't do them a service of making certain that they have lit basic literacy skills at the third grade level, they'll never be successful. And unfortunately, the frustration will lead to them dropping out of school. And nobody needs a community that has a bunch of dropouts because kids were academically frustrated. And so it's much better to front load those resources and use retention when needed in order to make certain that that child has the basic literacy skills. You have been involved with public education for 35 years, as I mentioned, from the classroom superintendent statewide as well. And I've had a front row seat to this. This really started in the 80s when I was covering education. Many argue that public education is under attack by a number of interests. 
do you feel publication is and has been for several years under attack? Do you think that is the case? Yeah, you know, under attack is is probably the way a lot of people feel because all of a sudden public education became a political arena. Um, before then, we really didn't. You know, in 1983, a nation at risk came out that identified that schools probably were not meeting the needs of students and preparing them for life after high school. And another report has come out here recently about a nation at risk that a whole lot's not changed. Mm-hmm. Well. You have to understand that when we start comparing the United States to other countries, it's not a fair comparison. We educate everybody. We don't say, well, you're at a certain age and you're just going in the workforce and you're no longer academically eligible to come in here and, and get any more learning other than the profession that you're going in to work at. That's a huge difference when you look at things in a global sense. Teachers and administrators have been providing quality education opportunities for kids for a long, long time and still do today. But what they required me to do as a student in a K-12 system and what they required you to do in a K-12 system is night and day what we ask students to do. And we keep pushing curriculum down in the lower grades, and we've forgotten about brain development and child development during that process. And then we want to know, well, why aren't they performing well? Well, we really didn't give them a chance to master skills. So we really need to look back at how we actually address a whole child and when they're ready to learn. Everybody's wired a little bit differently, and everybody learns a little bit differently. And I think we do great meeting different strategies of learners. But all of a sudden, that curriculum, that algebra, that used to be a high school course, ought to be taught to everybody in the seventh grade. Those kids aren't ready. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, and we well, need I, to stretch I a, those kids. I wasn't ready as a freshman, but that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Math was never easy for me. I had sure. to work extra hard at that. Uh, you have a, a special perch because of the uh, experience you've had with the State Department of Education, the Indiana Education uh, Employment Relations Board. Those, those are big picture agencies for the state. So I would say based on what you have been seeing over the last 35 years and see you've seen trends and so forth, I'm, I'm curious how you would describe the state of public education in Indiana. I think in Indiana we need to – kind of dust some policies off that we had as we did an education reform movement and get back to some basics that we're going to measure things. We want to see growth. I, I think it's so important that, yes, somebody getting an A is wonderful, but what do they know? And, and when you use maybe some, some problem-based learning opportunities for kids and make certain that they're really proficient I mean, it didn't hurt me as I went through school to memorize times tables. And that way, when I got older, I can do math in my head. I don't need my phone. I don't need a calculator. Those are some, I know, old school basic things that we've gotten away from. And so I think we need to take a look at where we're at. We're back now today saying that, you know, career technical ed's an important thing. And when I was a kid going through school, everybody had shop classes. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew how to do those things. College isn't for everyone. And we've had diplomas that have just basically directed kids to go to college. And unfortunately, now we're going to have to come back and say, we're going to reset here. And we're going to reset with rigor and relevance for kids and applicable education opportunities for them. So it makes sense. Because I really think for the last, oh, probably for the last 10 years, 
we've just checked a lot of boxes instead of made certain that learning is taking place. So we had, we had really good students who could sit there and give us feedback of information, and, but really didn't know what to do with it. So we're going to have to change our dynamics and make things more applicable in the school setting and relevant so our students understand why are they doing this. And our students, they've got more technology and skills with them than any student who's ever walked into a school. And so they have the knowledge, they have information, we've got to teach them how to apply it. You know, I've seen so much in recent years from corporate executives, and they have a lot to say about how who's going to be hired in the future. And they say, yes, I need a certain number of college graduates, but I'm going to need a lot more people with certifications. A lot of them are two-year certifications. And I may need somebody with a set of specific skills that may not be that that broad college education. I think that's is that that's a lot of what you're talking about right here. It is. And I would like to see us get to the point where maybe we have micro-credentials, that a student has mastered a, a certain skill, whether it's a, a you know, uh, uh, introduction, we started insurance classes in Perry Township because the industry came to us and said, hey, we're graying out. We need more insurance agents. We need appraisers. And, and would you teach courses here? We said, sure, we'll do that. But those kids are going to build micro-credentials that if they stay after graduation in the insurance agency, within 18 months, they could become a licensed insurance agent. I've tried to ask you a number of specific questions just based on my coverage of the school system for years, but I would like to give you an opportunity to add anything you would like to add before we wrap this up. You know, I think the thing that we've also missed over the last few years is the importance of education. I think parents have looked at education, especially post-pandemic, as, well, it's really not that important. It's the most important thing we do for a child ages 5 through 18. If they do not have a foundation of how to work with others, how to learn, how to problem solve, how to critically think, they're going to be dependent upon other people all their life. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing in a public education setting. We're supposed to be giving them the skills so they can do those things. Once again, problem solve, critically think, work together, and then they'll be able to get to wherever they want to go after the K-12 experience. Patrick Mapes, the new superintendent of schools, Haviland Southeastern District. He says he wants to be here for several years. So we certainly hope that uh, you will join us again and then talk about how things are going in the future. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Larry. Looking forward to working with you.